Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is Season 14, Episode 291. Title, Riding the High Horse. Subtitle, Empowering Encouragement Now, Number 40. An Arrogant Heart is the Prophetic Prelude of Evil. This is another installment of Empowering Encouragement Now, which is an adaption of the devotional books written by Charles Spurgeon, Morning by Morning, published in 1865, and Evening by Evening, published in 1868. Today's podcast is from the evening. What drew me to adapt and enlarge some of these devotions is the amazing insight into God and man which Spurgeon exhibited in his brief but powerful little essays. To think that while the war between the states was going on here in the United States, Spurgeon was writing a total of 730 devotional thoughts to share with people in order for them to live hard for God. And to think his diligent effort is still yielding great spiritual fruit 158 years later. My friend, that is amazing. That is a blessing of God. Since my father was a lithographer almost all of his life, I'm always fascinated with the question of how things were reproduced in the various eras of history. Spurgeon's first devotional book was published just as the web press was coming into use in 1865 with William Bullock's perfection of Hose Rotary Press. Bullock's press doesn't print on sheets, but is fed by a roll of paper that is printed on both sides. The press then folds the paper and cuts sheets at a speed of up to 12,000 sheets an hour. My friend, this was a major technological advance in Spurgeon's day. This method is still one of the two basic forms of printing, the other being the sheet-fed press. So Spurgeon was writing and publishing to the masses, using the latest technology to get these encouraging words out to people beyond his reach as a pastor there in London. My hope and prayer is that I will use this latest technology of the computer and podcast to see God multiply my offering to him and that this podcast and my video program, Other Things With, will reach a lot of people around the world. My friend, I ask you to pray for us. Pray for the people with whom we are connecting and that you will tell people in your sphere of influence about us. We need you to help and partner with us, both through your verbal recommendation and your financial support. You can click on our donate link in the show notes to find out ways you can financially contribute to the cause. In Proverbs 18.12, the Bible says, Before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. It's an old and common saying that coming events cast their shadows before them. My friend, let me read this to you again. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, in his day, it was an old and common saying that coming events cast their shadows before them. My friend, that is a profound thought. The wise man teaches us that a proud and arrogant heart is the prophetic prelude of evil. In other words, he's talking about the writer of the book of Proverbs. This proverb, the wise man teaches us that a proud and arrogant heart is the prophetic prelude of evil. My friend, let's stop right there. Mark it down. This is something that is never circumvented. This is not something that can ever be bypassed. This is a divine law of God. That a proud and arrogant heart is the prophetic prelude of evil. Pride is as safely the sign of destruction as the falling of the barometric pressure is the sign of worsening weather conditions, and far more infallibly so than that. When men have ridden the high horse, destruction has always overtaken them. And my friend, I hate to repeat, but we need to let this sink in. 
When men have ridden the high horse, destruction has always overtaken them. Let me ask you something. When you were a kid, did you ever have an authority figure in life tell you to get down off your high horse? It means to don't act or stop acting like you're better than others. In 2 Samuel 24, King David rode his high horse and it cost him and his nation dearly. Think about this, that what David did and what he was stirred up in his heart to do not only cost him, but it cost thousands and tens of thousands of lives. It cost him and his nation dearly. So before we go any further, I want you to think about the fact that when we as an individual get on our high horse, many times, number one, it will always result in being taken down. My friend, destruction always overtakes the one on the high horse. But beyond that, your arrogance and pride in your heart may very well also take down other people with it. And friend, we need to be disturbed within ourselves. We need to take evaluation and stock of ourselves and the way that we're presently living our lives. I'm going to read all the verses in chapter 24. It'll take just a couple of seconds. But my friend, it is very important that you hear what God has to say. The Lord's anger burned against Israel again, and he stirred up David against them to say, Go, count the people of Israel and Judah. Let me stop right here and say that in the Hebrew text, the word he is not there. The English interpreters supplied the word he to make sense of the sentence. But a big question throughout the centuries is who is stirring up David's heart? Who provokes David to do this? Was the he God? Was it Satan? In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says that then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Or was it a trusted military advisor or a prophet? Or was it God's anger? It's possible that God's anger. It says the Lord's anger burned against Israel again, and he stirred up David against them to say, Go count the people of Israel and Judah. We don't know for certain, but what is clear is that whatever the thing was that incited David to do this forbidden action, it was an act of chastisement of Israel by God toward the arrogant sin of Israel. My friend, that is a hard thing for us to swallow, that we've got to keep in mind when we go too far, when we cross over the line and our hearts become puffed up and pompous and our hearts become arrogant, God is going to take it down and he is the one behind it regardless of who the initial actor is in the scene. So the king said to Joab, the commander of his army, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the troops so I can know their number. Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops 100 times more than they are, while my lord the king looks on. But why does my lord the king want to do this? You see, friend, Joab's response shows Joab immediately perceived the arrogance of the order. Joab testifies he believes that God can multiply the troops a hundredfold while the king looks on if need be. Picking up in verse 4, it says, Yet the king's order prevailed over Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army left the king's presence to register the troops of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and camped in Aroer, south of the town in the middle of the valley, and then proceeded toward Gad and Jazer. They went to Gilead into the land of the Hittites and continued on to Danjaan and around to Sidon. They went to the fortress of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Afterward, they went to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. When they had gone through the whole land, they returned to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and 20 days. Joab gave the king the total of the registration of the troops. There were 800,000 fighting men from Israel and 500,000 men from Judah. 
That's 1.3 million trained soldiers fighting men. In context, the U.S. has 482,415 Army personnel, 343,223 U.S. Navy personnel, and 328,888 active U.S. Air Force personnel for a total of 1.15 million. David's conscience troubled him after he had taken a census of the troops. He said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. When David got up in the morning, a revelation from the Lord had come to the prophet Gad, David's seer. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I am offering you three choices. Choose one of them and I will do it to you. My friend, this is trouble right here. God is bringing it home to David, his sin of arrogance and pride. So Gad went to David, told him the choices, and asked him, Do you want three years of famine to come on your land, to flee from your foes three months while they pursue you, or to have a plague in your land three days? Now think it over and decide what answer I should take back to the one who has sent me. David answered Gad, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the appointed time, and from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men died. Then the angel extended his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it. But the Lord relented concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand now. The angel of the Lord was at the threshing floor of Orna the Jebusite. When David saw the angel striking the people, he said to the Lord, Look, I am the one who has sinned. I am the one who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's family. Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Orna, the Jebusite. David went up in obedience to Gad's command, just as the Lord had commanded. Orna looked down and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So he went out and bowed to the king with his face to the ground. Orna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David replied to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so the plague on the people may be halted. Orna said to David, My lord the king may take whatever he wants and offer it. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering, and the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. My king, Orna gives everything here to the king. Then he said to the king, May the lord your God accept you. The king answered Orna, No, I insist on buying it from you for a price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for twenty ounces of silver. He built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer on behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel ended. God was angry at David, because in those times a man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. Israel did not belong to David. Israel belonged to God. In Exodus chapter 30 verse 12, God told Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. It was up to God to command a census. And if David counted, he should have only done it at God's command, receiving a ransom to atone for the counting. This is why God was angry again with Israel and is also why David was conscience stricken after he counted Israel. David knew it was wrong and begged God to take away the guilt of his sin. Friend, we need to let David's aching heart show that there is an eclipse of a man's glory when he adores his own greatness. Look at Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, verse 33, the mighty builder of Babylon, 
creeping on the earth, devouring grass like oxen, until his nails had grown like bird's claws and his hair like eagle feathers. Pride made the boaster a beast, as once before it made an angel a devil. That's referring to Satan. God hates high looks and never fails to bring them down. All the arrows of God are aimed at proud hearts. All the arrows of God are aimed at proud hearts. I have a question to those of us who are Christians. Are our hearts haughty, proud, arrogant, full of self? My friend, pride can get into the Christian's heart as well as into the sinner's. It can delude us into dreaming that we are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. I ask you, are we glorifying in our graces or our talents? Are we proud of ourselves that we have had blessed lives and sweet experiences? If the answer is yes to any of these questions, mark it down, friend. There is a destruction coming to us also. Our flaunting poppies and of self-conceit will be pulled up by the roots. Our mushroom graces will wither in the burning heat. And our self-sufficiency shall become a straw for the dunghill. If we forget to live at the foot of the cross in deepest loneliness of spirit, God will not forget to make us smart under his rod. A destruction will come to us, unduly exalted believers, the destruction of our joys and of our comforts, though there can be no destruction of our souls, and praise be to God for that. How are you doing personally in your heart? Where is your heart towards the Lord today? Are you taking credit for all the great things that you've seen God do in your life, or are you continuously pointing to Him and saying to God be the glory? Because you see, one thing is for certain, God will not allow the haughty heart to continue. He will tear it down. A destruction will come to us unduly exalted believers. The destruction of our joys and our comforts, though there can be no destruction of our souls. My friend, if we glory, may it only be in the glory of the Lord. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.